Welcome to Sterile Packaging on Track Radio. This podcast delivers insights on medical device packaging from regulatory affairs, process management, as well as discussions on the latest in sterile device packaging technologies. Each episode, our host, Charlie Webb, speaks with global experts to bring the most relevant information to our esteemed listeners. As sterile packaging compliance becomes increasingly more challenging, it is vital to avoid information gaps that could risk your medical device packaging program. Avoid package failure risks and build your skill set from your colleagues' experience and from insights from sterile device packaging subject matter experts. You're listening to Sterile Packaging on Track Radio, Spot Radio. Hey, it's me again, Charlie Webb, and I'll be your host as we chat about packaging. Well, today we're going to talk to Adam Peake. You may know Adam if you're on LinkedIn. You certainly have come across him if you're in the packaging game. He's very interesting. Maybe you caught his TEDx talk that came out of Salt Lake City. Very interesting, engaging discussion. If you have not, I encourage you to Google that. Have a peek. Very interesting conversation. We're going to talk a little bit about sustainability today, and certainly on episodes moving forward, we're going to continue to have this chat. It's important. Obviously, we want to think about sustainability, but those of us in healthcare, we have a different vista when we're looking at the waste stream going through hospitals and clinics. Obviously, we can't take our plastics and just toss them in the uh, local recycling bin. We have biohazard issues, and we're going to talk about the challenges that we have in healthcare. But to have a further discussion, let's get Adam on the phone. Hey, Adam, how are you? Hey, doing great, Charlie. How are you? Well, good. You know, I got to tell you, I'm a big fan of you. I follow you on LinkedIn and um, it's always great to see your post and uh, to hear your input. You know, in medicine, we have some challenges. I mean, when we're talking about the recycling stream, I think it uh, becomes a little trickier when we're talking about biohazard. Um, nobody wants plastic that has uh, just been out of surgery. So uh, from your vista, how do we address these sort of problematic recycling channels? So recycling in general, I think, is going to have to undergo a a pretty significant overhaul. Just from a very pragmatic standpoint, we have a bunch of brands who have made these decisions and these proclamations that they'll be using X percentage of recycled content in their packaging by, you know, 2030 or 2025 or whatever the date is. And we are not anywhere close to being able to fulfill what that is. And so I think we're going to have to start looking beyond just sort of traditional recycling and into areas like you're describing, which is, you know, contaminated plastics, which would traditionally just be discarded and and landfilled. There's some interesting work being done out of the University of Florida. There's a former P&G executive. I'm not sure if you've followed their work. His name is Michael Ferrari and then Dr. Bruce Welt. And they're looking at ways to take contaminated waste, like you're mentioning from the medical and the pharma industry, any kind of waste and convert it into liquid methanol and then Mm. pump that back in to create clean plastics. So, Mm. you know, kind of a closed loop that you can use uh, plasma gasification. So that's a really exciting development, better cleaning technologies, I think is going to be really critical in order to very quickly and efficiently make plastic easier to go through a recycling channel. Most people don't realize it's a lot of work to get something ready to to actually be recycled, which is why traditionally speaking, you know, kind of the virgin sources have been, has continued to rise because it's just more cost effective in order to do so. So then you also have to understand where it's going to arc. I mean, I think most consumers are cool. If the uh, medical tray turns into a park bench, maybe not as cool. If it's a solo cup, they're going to be drinking their beer out of. So it it depends on where that, where that final destination is on the sort of arc of, of plastics, right? 
Yeah, definitely. It's finding more and better end of life value for a lot of these plastics. Like you had mentioned, you know, building materials and park benches and other things are, are really great and super useful, but similar with stuff like carbon capture, right? Like finding areas of value for, to encourage good altruistic behavior is critical. It doesn't do us any good to just say, yeah, well, this can be recycled, but there's nowhere for it to go. So ultimately it ends up either being upcycled one time or it ends up being landfilled, which is the majority of the case. We moved in the 80s during the AIDS epidemic. We went into single-use devices. I worked with sales, old sales guys back in the 50s and 60s who remember working for General Medical where they were, were using um, reusable syringes. So we've gone a long ways from, from that. I mean, at its core, recycling would mean you wash a dish instead of using a paper one. And this is similar to the industrial side. In hospitals, You know, we have to manage this single-use concept, we have to aggregate everything. One of the, my pet peeves that's been bugging me lately is, and I just read it on, on um, a post the other day, was someone was titled The Perception of Sustainability. And, you know, when it's used as a marketing ploy to sort of capture you as a company who's concerned about their world, their environment, their employees... And yet a lot of times these are sort of lip service. You know, the first thing we need to do is to go upstream as far as we can and look at how we can stop that waste stream through the hospital or organizations to where these devices can be reusable. I'm currently a co-author on a patent for the N95 mass to be sterilized, sanitized, and then used again because that adds another sequence of use. And so looking at not just how can we aggregate this material into something that we can reuse? What is the workflow? Also, we have to look at that. Well, how is that going to be structured so we can also save on that end of the equation? Yeah, for sure. I mean, when you think about the two areas that I think are going to be absolutely critical for packaging to focus on, you've touched on on the one, which is where you know you spend the majority of your time, which is healthcare. Whenever you have a growing population like we're having right now, it's the we are accelerating towards 10 billion people on the planet. That's going to come with a lot of complications. It's coming because we've done a lot of work in disease prevention and poverty elimination and things like that. However, it also comes with the challenges of making sure that we are positively impacting the environment. And like you mentioned, innovating towards upstream. It's not just what's the end of life. It's, well, how can we stop things from getting to end of life? How can we repurpose things? How can we reduce, you know, there's reduce, reuse, recycle and that's mantra. The other one is actually with food. So food and healthcare are the two areas that are going to grow by leaps and bounds over the next, you know, hundred years or so. And we have to be able to keep food fresh and we have to be able to properly medicate and treat people. And packaging is going to play a huge role in understanding that we can't keep doing the exact same stuff we've been doing because, you know, man-made climate change is, is a very real thing. And we need to do whatever we can to minimize global warming. And of course, making packaging can contribute to that. So we have to look at every part that we're touching. You know, again, one of my frustrations is, is the perception that we're doing something in certain technologies. This is true in the energy sector where it's like, well, you know, if you, if you have solar on your house, you're part of the solution, but it becomes much more complicated than that. We have to, we have to build these things. These plants are running on diesel and we have to look at how each one of the channels aggregates into a solution and then we have to add a value and score that. 
One example we see, um, there's a movement towards using plant-based plastics. Um, but some of these are, are grown, harvested just for that material. It makes it doesn't make a lot of sense. Whereas one of the products and some of them we're working with currently, they're using a byproduct of processing potatoes. These would have just normally been waste and they're turning it into, in this case, it's a, a covering for dry cleaning. So if we're using something that's a byproduct of a process, then it starts to make sense. When we just sort of shift from one sort of industrial complex to another, we look like we're doing something, but I think, you know, it again, my frustration is I think on a lot of sustainability, it's become putting that green leaf on your package and everybody loving your company. And we got to do more than just lip service. And I think that's one of the challenges when we're looking at these technology. How does it work as a whole? Is it really giving us the net results that we're hoping for? Or are we just telling a story? Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to diminish the importance of story, right? We are, we are not just fully intellectual beings. We make a lot of emotional decisions, obviously, but I think that the proliferation of information, the desire for transparency and clarity that has come from the younger generations is really forcing what I would say more truth in our stories. And so just saying something like, well, we are making our plastic from, you know, from, from bio-based materials. Well, people are going to start asking, well, where are they being harvested from? What kind of fertilizer are you using? What other crops could you be growing there? What is the overall life cycle analysis of that when it comes to carbon impact versus another material that maybe you can't market as well, but is actually a little bit more impactful? And I think that we have certainly seen that over the last five, six, 10 years, and it's it's only increasing, which is great, right? So be able to market and tell a story, but you have to have substance behind it. There has to be this, this truth and this integrity that is, that is behind it where you are actually participating in solving the problem, not just the greenwashing and the wish cycling and making everybody feel good. That will still linger for a bit, I believe. It's still gonna be there. But my hope is, and this is what I spend a lot of my time on social media doing, is is really trying to educate people on what is the problem. And currently, I would say that the problem is that the planet is heating up. I think we should be able to agree on what the problem is and what are we going to do to stop that? How are we going to get to carbon neutral? How are we going to get to carbon negative as individuals and as companies and as societies and civilizations, I think is really important. So good on the younger generations for really forcing that. And I think good on us, Gen X and boomers who I think are really starting to see like, oh yeah, this is a real deal. And we're starting to see, I think some really positive shifts. Transparency has become a deal. Certainly we're looking closer. I'm not so sure people really have the time to go deep dive on what's the headwater of this renewable product. Maybe, I hope that's the case, but I wonder, but you know, they say charity starts at home. I think a lot of it in our own personal lives. I mean, my son likes a certain fast food here in Southern California. We went there the other day and literally filled my car with the packaging, but it's only going from that window 
to my son's lap, to his mouth. I mean, do we really, I'm shocked at how much, and this is everyone. I mean, if you count your touch points throughout the day, how many things that are coming your way where there's so much waste? I mean, you know, you get the box from that company that sends you the stuff real quickly. You know, the one and you get it. It's in a huge box and there's this tiny little thing with an air filled plastic bag in there bouncing around, usually broke. And that's another piece. You know, we have to look at if we're going to manage and reduce our packaging, we have to protect the content because if there's another shipping sequence, that adds to more fuel, more waste, more global warming, all of that. So again, I really do believe that understanding this big story, but also working at your home, your office, doing a self-assessment as you as an individual, and also as an employee, a company owner, doing a hard assessment, not just to be part of a movement to where you feel like you've done your job, because you're using recycled post-consumer product in your bathroom napkins, I think we need to look deeper and look at how, I'm a Six Sigma guy, so I'm looking at how we reduce contact points to be able to shrink things down to the smallest node. But gosh, it just seems to me like we're just not even close in terms of the workflow piece of this. Yeah, no doubt. I kind of put sustainability into four buckets, and you actually touched on quite a few of them. So My first thing is as a company, and then I'll get to sort of the personal role, but as a company, there are sort of four P's I like to, first, it has to protect the product, especially if you're dealing with medical device or vaccinations or whatever it might be, right? Testing, transferring blood, whatever it might be, right? To lose that is incredibly costly. Not only is it costly from a dollar's perspective, but it's costly from a energy release perspective because it does require a lot to manufacture this stuff. So when it doesn't get, if your packaging cannot protect the product from point A to point B, then it is by definition, highly unsustainable. And you'd think that would be obvious, but it's not always obvious. You know, the number two is the planet. And so you wanna be as least impactful as you can with your packaging. Number three is your people. It has to be on brand. Your people have to actually buy it. If it's a CPG, they need to actually want to use it or else you're not going to gain business, which leads you to fourth, which is profitability. You have to be able to continue to make things and make money so that you can keep making things. So I'm right with you on that. From a personal standpoint, I believe you're right. We don't always have the ability to do all of the hard deep dive on information. I know I don't always do it. I've done polls where I've asked, would you make a decision based solely on sustainability? The numbers are not that great. People much would rather buy via convenience and price and brand reputation as of right now. And sustainability does play a little bit into that, but we can continue to force companies. We have seen companies change because their consumers started to demand more sustainable products. They've started to demand post-consumer cycle content. They started to demand better unboxing experiences. That's, I think, only going to accelerate. But to say that it's there to your point, is not accurate. We are not there yet. And I think Hopefully we'll get there. It has to be overlaid. You know, in the case of the all of the fast food wrappers that have the green leaf on it, so we know they're post-consumer products, And but there's a lot of it. It's sort of like the mistake, in my personal opinion, when we look at other global issues like transportation, we spend so much time, how do we get electric cars? How do we make these lithium batteries go 400 miles? Where do we put the charging? How's the infrastructure work out? But no one asks the question, how can we stay home? Until now, we're forced into it and we're into a model where we're decentralizing the workplace, which makes far more sense than trying to shoehorn a solution 
into a problem that could be solved much more organically. It's a mm. simpler solution. Really, people should be looking much more at the less movement model opposed to how can we get an electric vehicle in everybody's garage. There's other secondary and tertiary problems that are associated with that. Anytime we're looking in medicine, when we're looking at a full global solution-based sort of a metric, we're looking at how does everything impact it. Ever involved in a clinical trial, you need to see not just the studies back from the humanoid, but everything, flow. It's a very complicated process. And it just seems like the analytical part sometimes in sustainability is somewhat linear where we're not maybe reaching beyond and asking some questions. You know, the old adage of turning a problem upside down and asking it from another point. I think maybe there's some room to do that. Do you agree? I completely agree. Yeah. That side of me doesn't come, you know, you have a Six Sigma background and I have a pastoral background. Here's where they kind of collide is whenever I would prepare a sermon, I would make observations as you have talked about. And then I would pepper my observations. So I'd read a a passage and I would write down everything that is objectively true about that, that I could observe. And then I would just pepper it with questions after question, after question, after question. I wouldn't even think like, can I know this answer? It would just be like, just getting really, really curious Mm -hmm. and going through a whole bunch of interpretive questions and then correlating all of those and doing all the study. That's where the hard study work comes in and getting answers to that and then formulating your conclusions based off of that process. Mm-hmm. I think what we do, whether it's theological or from a business standpoint or from a relational standpoint, is that we arrive at conclusions first and then we go look for information to validate that we are true, which is how we end up in these echo chambers all around us. And I would want to encourage people, just like you said, to Start with what you know to be objectively true, not subjectively, what is objectively true, and then question the whole thing. Just write down every single question you can about whether it's sustainability or whether it's politics or whatever it might be, right? Or a medical trial. You write down a whole bunch of questions and then you start there. The two terms would be one is exegetical, which means to extract out of, to pull out of something. So you're exegeting things that are true. And the other one is eisegesis, which is to read on top of or to place on top of. That is a very subjective way to feel really great about yourself. <laughs> but true. but you end up at wrong conclusions. And then you just surround yourself with people and with ideas that validate your wrong conclusions. And that's really dangerous for sure. Which I think is the reason why there's a lot of thinking fallacies right now. We're so mm. polarized. The world is we're split up in camps. And no matter which camp you're in, you're so exhausted. You become to a point where you have thinking fatigue, where you've just, I'm trying to understand it, which is the best road. So what you tend to do is you follow your tribe, your group, and let them do the thinking for you. And I see too much of that. And I, it's always interesting to me in politics or something, when someone breaks away and they can't really be put into a bucket there, I'm over here, but I'm over here. And that's the way I am. I'm all over the place because I've thought about each individual subject and I've given it merit based on my own personal value system. And I think that's important to do. You need to ask yourself some questions that maybe go beyond what is obvious. And that's always the thing that trips people up. They're just going on that first tier questions. Can I give you a great example of that? Because this just happened on sustainability and packaging. I'll pull us back in. I kind of set us off on this little trail. (laughs) Oh, I love it. So I had asked a question about if you're a company and you're faced with this dilemma, you can use some packaging that is 100% recyclable, or you can spend less money on something that's going to prolong the life of your product 
and contribute less greenhouse gas emissions. And it's less expensive, but it's not recyclable. What do you choose? And it was about a 60-40 split. And I'm connected to a lot of people in the packaging industry on LinkedIn. I got over mm-hmm. 120 responses. And it was about a 60-40 split the last I checked of people who were like, well, yeah, of course, the one that prolongs the product that's doing the least harm to the environment that costs you less, that would make sense. It's people who are like, no, <laughs> it has to be recyclable. Exactly. And you're like, even if it's 10 times worse for the environment, it's going to emit 10 times the amount of carbon into the atmosphere. They're like, yes, but it needs to be recyclable. And I'm like, that would be the difference, right? One, like I would look at it and say, we're trying to solve this one problem. Let's exegete the data and let's arrive at a conclusion that is helping us solve the problem. And then we'll figure out the way to tell that story. Mm -hmm. The other one is we have to have a story of recyclability and we're going to do whatever we can to make sure that that story is told. Or another one is compostability with packaging. Our packaging has to be compostable or biodegradable. But why? Why does that have to be the thing? Mm. You start asking these very simple follow-up questions and you realize nobody's really challenged that thought because perhaps they've just surrounded themselves with a whole bunch of people who are like, your packaging has to be compostable. You've got to go into this bio-based structure. You have to do this. You have to do this. And no one stopped to ask, why does that have to be true? What are we trying to do? What are we trying to accomplish? What are we trying to solve? Obviously, if you're trying to put things into compostable packaging, that's your only question, then that's your only answer. But maybe you got to ask a better question. So you can arrive at better answers. We know that right now, the way everyone is, it's difficult to be the type of person that wants to ask questions right now. It's just shut up, be in your little corner here, and that's where you belong. And so I do see that. And in medicine, the answer is always, we can't recycle. The answer is that we can't. Our waste stream is an attribute of medical device packaging. And a certain amount of that is true. I mean, we do have, it's a matter of life or death. So where do we draw that line and say, well, you know, you should definitely be recyclable if the person has a 20% chance of dying, but this is, can be used down the road, then, I mean, you know what I mean? It becomes tricky. So at one point we need an exemption. And I think the industry has accepted an exemption for sort of the sustainability for certain devices and packages and certainly true for biohazards. But as you say, there are solutions now that are going down that pathway But in our industry, it's a challenge, so we're going to continue to fight it. I'm part of a group that's working on potential solutions. And as I say, I'm working on ways to reuse product. Any other Mm -hmm. sort of great news from the packaging industry, a sustainability piece that gives us hope for a better tomorrow? Yeah, there's so much. And I really appreciate being able to come on the show here. You can't just beat people into submission and shame them into sustainability. Like Mm -hmm. that is not going to work. And so if we're going to push sustainability forward in the packaging industry, we have to have a joyful revolution, right? Mm -hmm. We have to have fun. It has to be exciting. It has to provide value. We can't just sit around there and throw stones at people who are not doing it because we won't gain followers and adherence over to our camp, so to speak, right? And so there are some really cool things happening right now. And I'll kind of end on this with carbon capture. And so what we're able to do is actually pull carbon out of the atmosphere and create products from it. Because, you know, carbon is a great starting point Mm -hmm. for a lot of different things. And so there are companies working on carbon negative cellulose acetate, carbon negative paper. There is a carbon negative vodka company. There's carbon negative hand sanitizer. I mean, when we can pull carbon out of the atmosphere and make stuff out of it, 
that is good for sustainability, but it's also, it's a much better source than say trees or potatoes, which now we can use for other things like lumber and, you know, (laughs) creating homes for people or acting as a sink for carbon by leaving the rainforest up or just beauty in the mountains or feeding people with these fruits and these potatoes. And so you have to be able to match the pragmatism of sustainability with the passion, right? It can't just always be passion. We have to start finding ways to connect with people on a business level in order to drive it forward. I agree. Yeah. And what you said, buy-in is so important. If everyone isn't buying in and if somehow, God forbid, we turn this into a political thing, which I guess in some ways it almost feels that way. It has to be something that where we all feel like there's a mission, we're all on it. This isn't polarized in any way. And that's really the biggest problem we're having now is trying to desect these polar camps to be able to get us back to just a single human that's trying to solve our collective problems. And I hope that we get there. Well, Adam, this has been such an enjoyable and engaging discussion. You know, sustainability has been at the tip of our tongues in healthcare for some time now. It seems to be gaining a lot more attention lately. Obviously, uh, sustainability in packaging in general, and that's been around for a while But all of it seems to be revving up. We're getting more energy about sustainability. We have to. So it's important to have these conversations. We're certainly going to have more of those moving forward about healthcare, packaging, sustainability, and how we control our waste stream in hospitals. We're going to continue to have that conversation. We're going to bring in amazing people like Adam. Adam, I know you're a very, very busy person, and I really appreciate you taking the time to jump on here and and having a quick chat with me today. Thanks, Charlie. Listen, if you'd like to get a hold of Adam Peake, you can uh, get him at Adam at peopleofpackaging.com, or you can visit his website, adampeak.com. I'm also going to put a link to his TED Talk. I really uh, believe you should take a peek at that. If you're in packaging, it's a must-see. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining me for another episode of Sterile Packaging on Track Spot Radio. I look forward to having you back in the next one. This is Charlie Webb. This podcast is made possible by Vanderstahl Scientific. Executive producer, Lisa Wasberg. Director of Media Service, Hector Garcia. Audio engineering and editing by Joel and our friends at East Coast Studios. And this is Jonathan Lockwood saying thanks for your support, medical device manufacturers. See you next time on Spot Radio. Spot Radio.